First Kings chapter 17. Now, uh, we are going to start again at verse 1. We kind of introed the beginning of verse 1 last week, uh, but I, because I, I wanted to get, touch on Elijah. Elijah. I'm going to point out a couple things in the very first few verses here that I didn't point out last week. All that is to lead up to where the rest of this chapter uh, this evening. But a couple of things I want to remind you of. Israel has had these evil kings for over 75 years, these terribly evil kings. Um, and the northern kingdom of Israel, that's the northern ten tribes of Israel. They've had these evil kings. And, and one of the, the benchmarks here that keeps being said about all these kings is that they walked in the ways of Jeroboam. That was the first king of Israel that God had set aside. And that was false, uh, false worship of God and a continued turning away from God. Well, then last week we came to Ahab, and Ahab is going to take the prize of wickedness. In fact, with Ahab, we read something interesting in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 31. It said, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. And basically, Ahab had it become so common for him to walk in sins of Jeroboam, even more so, he started, uh, he married Jezebel, who was a, uh, a, a Gentile. He uh, brought in all the, the temple of Baal and the priest of Baal into Israel. And what, where we find ourselves in this point in Israel's history, the northern kingdom, is the light of God is, and faith is actually very close to, well, from our view, of being extinguished. Um, can you imagine living in such a dark time in history when it seems like all those who believe in God have gone away and you're alone? I know we're getting little glimpses of that as our world and our culture turns increasingly more away from God and toward evil things and, and promoting evil things. But trust me, the days of Elijah here, as Elijah comes on the scene, are much more wicked. So uh, that's where we're going to pick up at 17 verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land." couple of things that I didn't point out last week. Last week we did talk about how uh, it's not always easy for the child of God or the representative of God when, when God is bringing about, when he's speaking against evil, oftentimes it puts the, the servant of God in hardships or hard places, which is not a bad thing because God is going to do his work. But there's a few more things here that I didn't have time to cover last week that I want to point out. First of all, as Elijah goes and speaks against Ahab and tells him that there's going to be no rain or dew in the land, he's calling out this incredible drought. Now, I, the, 
God Baal is kind of the weather God. That's one of the things he does. And so by Elijah calling out that all rain is going to stop, not only are they going to see great famine in the land, because it's not like you, you have supermarkets stocked up and, and you have this supply chain that's well-oiled and always working, right? Uh, no. <laughs> The, uh, you certainly don't have these resources like, like you do today. And so Elijah uh, here calls out these three years of drought. Now, it's interesting. If you turn over to James, uh, James chapter 5 and verse 17. James chapter 5 verse 17. In James we learn that it is actually Elijah who causes the drought. So it says, uh, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. As James is speaking about this servant of the Lord, that it was actually not just God commanding Elijah to go speak to Ahab, but Elijah was actually petitioning God that he would stop the rain. Now just consider that for a moment. What a righteous man who's fed up with evil can do. Because that's really where we find Elijah at in these dark, dark times in his life is that he's so fed up with the prophets of Baal. You have to, we'll see later on as we go through this that, that uh, Jezebel, the queen, is such a wicked individual. They're putting to death those who worship the Lord God, the priests of God. They're, they're just, uh, they don't want anybody worshiping God. They want to completely extinguish the worship of God. And, and now we see that Elijah actually started praying to God, God, stop the rain. God, bring hardship to these people that they might turn. That's, that's a kind of incredible when you think about it. When was the last time you prayed for hardship for your people that they might turn and repent? That's not how we pray, is it? You know, because who wants hardship? We want it easy, right? We want to keep it easy. <laughs> like, Lord, turn people's hearts, but don't let it affect me. <laughs> right? <laughs> Lord, <laughs> my community is wicked. I'm sorry for them. But keep me healthy and safe and, and <laughs> wealthy and all that, right? Uh, and I think what we see here is as wickedness increases, we see the righteous man the man of God say, Lord, you've got to move. You've got to move against this wickedness. We need you to move. And, and, and Elijah gets into the battle. He prays earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain. So God tell, gives him this word saying, get away. Part of that is that one, Elijah, God is going to teach Elijah, Elijah as he tells him to get away. But He's also going to protect Elijah. He's going to hide him away by this brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now just consider that for a moment. How many of you like depending upon God each and every day for everything and having no idea that you're going to be taken care of for the next day? We don't like that either, generally, right? I mean, we, we all say we do. But when it comes down to it, how many of you guys have stressed out over paying a bill that's due the next day before, right? Well, I think we've all been there before. 
where we've stressed out about taking care of some need that we just don't know where it's going to come from. And, and so, so Elijah here is uh, made daily to depend upon God to bring these ravens, to bring him food, and to drink from the brook. More than that, if there's no rain in the land, what's happening to the brook? It's drying up, slowly, slowly getting smaller and smaller. And so Elijah continues to depend upon God as God has hidden him away. Well, finally, it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So now we go to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's put the brakes on this whole thing right now. Let me just tell you what's going on here. This is so wrong. This is, doesn't, hasn't God, anyone told God that he's not supposed to do this? I, listen, he, he's telling Elijah to go into the north to the land of the Gentiles and there find a widow who's going to take care of him. First of all, Jews aren't supposed to be fed by Gentiles. That's not supposed to happen. And, and more than that, don't you know that the widows are the poorest people in the land? They don't have excess or extra. They can't take care of you. But that's where God wants him to go. Go to the land of Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Well, listen, it's interesting because... Not only is the widow, this Gentile that God is going to send Elijah to, considered unclean, but also previously he's been being fed by unclean animals, ravens. Ravens are considered unclean. They're not considered clean animals uh, under the law. And so God has not only been nourishing Elijah through unclean things, but now he tells Elijah to go to an unclean person, a Gentile, and a widow who's poor, and he'll, he'll supply for Elijah's needs that way. I, I do want to say this. Charles Spurgeon made a comment about this, that, that God can speak through unclean things to us. Now, what, I, what do I mean by that? I mean, what I mean is that those of us who are Christians sometimes almost look at an unbeliever as an unclean one. And when an unbeliever speaks truth, we want to discredit that truth or discount it and go, oh, no, they're not speaking. Well, I want you to know that God can absolutely speak through unclean ones. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that they're clean. It doesn't mean that they know Jesus Christ. But oftentimes God's rebuke comes from the Gentiles. It happens, you know. And so uh, we, uh, <laughs> we had an incident here in the church a couple months ago in the morning and, uh, I, I, of course, I don't know if the person was a believer or not. They'd never been to this church. Uh, I think by all accounts, you would probably consider the individual a crazy lady, uh, a little bit out of her mind. Uh, I've seen her walking down the circle just, like, yelling things and things like that. Well, she came into church on a Sunday morning. She comes into the foyer. I was already preaching in my sermon and I was just, I, I had no idea that this was going on in the foyer. I was just going through my sermon on Sunday morning. And she came in and she sat down in the foyer and she started watching the TV in the back. And, 
and uh, she heard people talking in the foyer. And she turned to all the people talking in the foyer and said, is this your pastor? And they said, yeah. She said, and you don't even respect him to listen to him? I'm leaving. And she walked out. <laughs> and so the, the security team told me about that story, and I thought, that's pretty convicting. Crazy or not, God spoke to the, through that woman to convict those in the back. They're like, yeah, ouch. <laughs> that, uh, you know? Uh, I know if I would have been back there, I would have been like, oh, man, that, that hurts. But it's true. God can use individuals and uh, even people who are crazy or unclean or whatever the case is to speak to his people or to fulfill his purposes. So don't discount those things. Well, so Elijah's told to arise, go to Zarephath, and, and thankfully God has already built up Elijah's dependence upon him because I can't even imagine if God would have told Elijah to first go to Zarephath to the land of the Gentiles and find a widow that he would have gone there first. I think he probably uh, felt, would feel more comfortable going to this brook and being fed by ravens. But nonetheless, he uh, is told to go there. Notice this command here. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now this widow is outside, is near the gate of the city and she's gathering up sticks. And, uh, uh, you know, it's crazy because I've seen this scene happen in real life where I've seen uh, single mothers in Uganda. Uh, Uganda has this thing where the men are total losers a lot of the time and they get women pregnant. That's where they think their whole role is, is to get women pregnant and to get drunk. That's like the, the role of a man. But, and that's why Christianity is so important because it changes those ideas. As you encounter the word of God, you learn why God has created you and what he's created you for. And so oftentimes in, in uh, Uganda, what you'll see is men who are just making babies, getting drunk, and then leaving their wives. And uh, when a woman has been left after having babies, uh, she's looked at as an off-lay hen. Uh, they literally use that term, an off-lay hen, which means that she's not really good for much. You know, a hen that doesn't lay eggs isn't good for much. You know, that's pretty insulting, right, women? Uh, I think it is. And I'm not a woman, but I think it's insulting. And, uh, but you have to understand that she doesn't have this great value to offer other men anymore, which is terrible. So uh, what I've seen as I've worked in uh, Uganda and in these poor areas, I will see widows or, or women who have been uh, left destitute, going out and collecting sticks for firewood. That's what they're collecting them for. And they're collecting anything they can. And I've seen women who break rocks with little hammers all day long to get a rock pile and sell it for money so that they can buy some necessary means like corn maize to make uh, what's called poshu, which is like this little cake. It's kind of like grits, but drier. Um, that they can feed themselves and their children. Uh, just going out and collecting sticks. And I'll tell you right now, when you see those individuals, you don't think, let me go get something from them. You think, oh, 
these are the, probably the poorest people on the planet when you see their situation. I love, uh, when I go to Spoken Word, I love, we love hiring those ladies uh, to come and work for us. And that way they can earn money. And, and uh, as part, part of when we do construction with Spoken Word is that uh, we feed all the workers. So that's not normal. So they, they get meals uh, for them and their children, and, and they do work around the, the camp depending on what we need done. Um, and so this woman here is out gathering sticks. And so Elijah sees her and says, bring, please bring me a, a little cup of water. He's testing the waters. He's trying to see, is that the woman, God, that you spoke to? And, and then he says, oh, now please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Oh, Wow, now you're asking for a lot. Look at what she says, verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and, the, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Wow. This famine in the land has not only affected the wealthy, but also the poor. It's affected everyone. This is a woman without hope. This is someone who's lost all hope. Now, do you remember earlier when God said, go to this woman, see, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you? Certainly it wasn't this woman, was it? It's interesting because in this story, we don't see that God ever spoke directly to this widow. But I do think it's important to recognize the providence of God, that God controls all things. And if God decides something or commands something, knowing the heart of man and the individual, he'll make these things happen. And he knows that there is a widow in Zarephath who has no hope. She has a son in her, and there's absolutely no hope. And she's about to dip in to get the very last of the flour in her flour jar and the very last of the oil. And they're going to make a cake and then they're going to die. They're going to starve to death. When we say cake, we're talking like just a flat flatbread. That's what they're, they're living off of, this little bit of flatbread. She has no hope. Now, it's important for you to realize because you may have been in a situation where you feel there is no hope. You feel hope has been robbed from you, be it evil circumstances or evil people. When I say evil circumstances, I, you can call drought, uh, things like that, natural evil. We know that those aren't good. Those are, those are things that hurt and those are, don't feel good. You can even say evil circumstances like a, a pandemic, like people getting sick. You, whatever it is, you might have been in a place where you've been robbed of hope. But I want you to realize something, that God is the God of hope. In fact, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you start to consider who God is, and when you understand that God has a plan and a future, that God is in control sovereignly, that his providence cannot be overcome by someone else, that God knows the situation. He knows your, your beginning from your end. He knows all the days that you will go. He knows everything about you. He knows your checkbook balance. He knows, of course, that's like 
old school for some of you. He knows your ATM balance, right? Uh, <laughs> like, I think I was talking to somebody and they're like, why do I need a checkbook? I'm like, never mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, uh, but he knows all those things about you. He knows where, where your provision is going to come tomorrow. And when you start to consider God and you start to consider the fact that he has this plan for you in Christ Jesus, plan not to harm you but to give you a future, that, that, that this is the God who works all things together for your good to those who are called according to his purpose, that he can take all these things and work them together for your good, then you start to realize that, oh, wow, there's a lot of hope in God. There's a lot of hope. In fact, in Psalm 42... The psalmist writes in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So as the psalmist is writing this, he's asking, Why are you so depressed? Why why are you so in, in such turmoil inside? And then he gives the answer, Hope in God. Put your hope in God. There's the answer. Well, the problem with the widow of Zarephath is she doesn't know God. No one's told her about God. She's a Gentile. I mean, maybe she's heard of the God of Israel, but where she lives, it's Baal. Baal is the God. And, and, and everyone around her believes, worships this Baal. And, and that, that's what she knows. But the God of hope knows her. That's what I think is most amazing about this story. If we go to verse 13, it says, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now, how many of you guys could do that to a widow who has no hope? She's got nothing left, and you would say, Okay, fine, just make me something first, then make something for yourself. Anybody, would any of you do that? I know I wouldn't do that. I'm like, no, no, no. I'll starve. You take it, right? That's what I would do. But you have to understand, Elijah is giving her an opportunity to exercise faith. We all need those opportunities to exercise faith. And oftentimes we don't see trials in life as opportunities to trust in God. We see trials. Sometimes we look at a trial and we go, God, why? Why would you do this to me? Am I cursed? Do you hate me? What's going on, God? And, and meanwhile, God is just saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to exercise faith and see me work in my power and my glory. And so, so uh, this widow, he says, go make me a cake first. Verse 34, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Verse 15, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. (laughs) She went and did according to the word of Elijah. She exercised faith. Faith is hearing God speak and responding to him with an attitude of dependence and actions of obedience. She heard the word of the Lord and she acted upon it. And as a result of that, 
every morning or every day when she dipped into that jar, there was that flower again. Interesting that God didn't just fill up the room with flour, right? He, he didn't just overflow all these jars and everything with, with resources. He kept her, just like Elijah was left waiting on these ravens day by day, he kept her where she would just go to that jar and faithfully there would be the provision for that day. <laughs> She's just learning who God is. It's amazing uh, how God meets this widow there. Well, verse 17, now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Things were going great. We were living on faith. We, I, we were dipping into the jar, and every day there was, there was flour for cakes and oil to, to make those cakes, and things were going great. But now her son gets sick, so sick that he dies. But look at her response. It's almost first to maybe blame him indirectly. What, what have you to do with me, O oh man of God? Have you come here, and then th- this is where she puts the blame. Look at what it is. Have you come here to bring my sin to remembrance? What does that tell you about our, this woman? What does that tell you about this woman? Have you come here? Is this the result of my sin? She's got a guilty conscience. We don't know what she did. We have no clue. And the Bible's not going to tell us. Fact is, God's not even so much concerned with that. I, I really believe that God's just concerned with helping to clean her conscience. She, she's been serving the man of God, God's servant, faithfully. But the problem is, is all of our good works just aren't good enough to clean our conscience before God. Because at the first sign of trouble... First thing she brings up is, you're bringing my sin to remembrance. It's because of my sin. Now, sometimes that God does bring troubles in our lives so that we will confess our sin, that we will repent and turn from him. But certainly the, the, real, the, the, the most important thing is that God came and died for you, that you might be able to have a clean conscience before God, that you might, not, might know that you're not a child of wrath, but you're a child of God and an heir to his kingdom. So verse 19 says, And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him up the upper room where he was staying. And by the way, uh, a son for this widow would have been her only hope because he would have been able to grow up and start taking care of her in her old age. Uh, So then they cried out to, uh, sorry. uh, So Elijah took him in his arm, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Verse 20 Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah 
And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house, gave him to his mother, and Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said, Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. This is the first, you, you had circle this, the first time anybody in the Bible has been raised from the dead. It's kind of awesome. Now, I might be wrong. If you know of a different, raise your hand right away because I, I don't know of any other time in the Bible to date that anybody was raised from the dead. This is the first instance that, that Elijah prayed over this young boy and he was raised up from the dead. And I love the fact that, that, that Elijah is not blaming God. Elijah is asking God. It's okay to ask God. It's totally okay for you to say, God, are you bringing this on me or have you done this because of? And wait on the Lord for an answer. It's okay to ask God. But where, where we don't want to get into is where we start blaming God for where, where we're like the disciples in the boat who says, Lord, have you brought us out here to drown, to die? Is that why we're in this boat in this storm because you want to kill us? You know, that's where we, we, don't, we don't want to get to. Don't you care, Lord, as, as they question Jesus? But, but as he asked the Lord what, uh, why, sorry, as he asked the Lord uh, this question, he prays and, and he lays over the child three times. This is not a magic charm or spell. Don't think of it that way. It's just what Elijah chose to do. And, and as a result of it, God, through Elijah, healed this young man, and he lived. But notice what she said. Now I know that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Interesting, because we know throughout these times of evil kings, there's been evil priests and evil people who speak on behalf of the Lord, and they lie. We, we already have encountered lying prophets in 1 Kings. And there's, there's no reason why we would, would uh, hold this against this woman that she doesn't know for sure that this guy is the real deal, that he's really speaking the truth of God. I mean, certainly we could say that the, the flour and the oil is important, but God now has taken the most essential thing to her, her future. He's taken and now Elijah restores the future through the power of God. And she knows that he's speaking the truth. Well, you have to understand that you and I have been given an incredible miracle in Jesus Christ. We, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead that you and I might know that God speaks the truth when he speaks about your future. You know, I, I find it interesting when people question miracles in the Bible... By the way, go ahead and turn over to Luke 4 um, while we're talking here. I, I find it interesting when people question miracles in the Bible. They question like Jesus feeding the 5,000 or, or Jesus walking on water. And my first comment to them always is, well, forget about that stuff. Let's tackle the big one. Jesus rose from the dead. Because we certainly don't see that every day. And, and when you start to uh, consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ... We see that it's actually more plausible 
it's more logically plausible that you would believe that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead than he's still in the grave. When you look at the eyewitness testimonies, when you consider the facts of the, uh, the, these testimonies, the historical accounts, all these things, we can put together a good case that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And as we consider that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead, we can know that God speaks the truth. And he has a future and a hope for you and for me. Luke 4, verse 16. Jesus is announcing his ministry. This is, we're going to close with this passage tonight. Jesus is announcing his ministry. And he's going to reference the widow of Zarephath here and Elijah. It says, so he came to, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Let me pause there for a moment. As Jesus gets up in Nazareth, to read from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He opens up that scroll. Intentionally, he finds this passage, and he proclaims that today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Basically, I am the one that Elijah was prophesying about me. And at first, they're kind of in awe. They're, whoa, this is cool. But then they start saying, wait a minute, aren't you Joseph's son? Yeah, we know Joe. Yeah, he lives, you know, two streets over or whatever. Obviously, at this point in time, he had passed because there's just no mention of him anymore. But yeah, we we, we knew who Joe was. You're just Joe's son. And so Jesus says, yeah, you're going to say to me, prophet, heal yourself. And certainly a prophet is not accepted in his own home. Look at verse 25, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, hey, there were a lot of widows in Israel. There was more than just the widow of Zarephath who was suffering. But God didn't send Elijah to any of those widows. He didn't send Elijah to the widows of Israel. He sent Elijah out of Israel to a Gentile because of their rejection. And then he goes on to say, 
And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. We'll get to that eventually. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Oh, and by the way, there were lots of lepers, lots of sick people in Israel also. But guess what? Jesus didn't cleanse any of those lepers. Or sorry, Elisha didn't cleanse any of those lepers. He cleansed the Syrian, another Gentile. Look at the response, verse 28. So all those in the synagogue... When they heard these things were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built. That they might throw him down over the cliff. Verse 30. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. I love that about Jesus. Uh, Until it's Jesus' time, he just like walks away. (laughs) They're all like, we're going to kill you. We brought him to the cliff. And all of a sudden Jesus just walks away. I, I love how the mobs never conquered Jesus. Jesus, no man takes his life, he lays it down. But the point of this is about the rejection of God. You see, he's proclaiming that he's come to set captives free and give sight to the blind. But yet, the people of Israel are rejecting him, and God will go to someone else who wants to receive him. I want to encourage you tonight if you're like that widow of Zarephath where you don't have a clean conscience before God, you're still struggling with a guilty conscience, be set free. Give that over to Jesus Christ. Receive him. If, if, if you're like the people of Israel that have just surrendered to darkness, don't do that. Come to Jesus. Be set free. Don't reject him. Because the fact is, is Jesus isn't going to force himself upon you. You have the ability to receive him. And if you choose to reject him, he'll go to someone else. Because God is not going to force himself upon you. He is the God of hope. And in him you can trust. Just like this widow of Zarephath did. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this night, this evening together. And Lord, this story is awesome. God, that you picked out this widow so far away to send your servant Elijah to that she might know that your word is truth. And Lord, the fact that you chose this little insignificant widow to the world to reveal yourself to, we thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, if you're revealing yourself tonight, to anyone here that they would just respond. If you want to respond to the Lord God, if you need to ask for forgiveness for something, if you need that clean conscience before God, if you need to be set free, you pray right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Set me free. I'm ready to follow you. I'm not going to reject you. I want to receive you into my household. Lord, we thank you that you can sustain us, you can nourish us. Lord, your word said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray your blessing on each and every one who heard your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.